Hello, I'm Sophie and this is the Hospice Podcast from St John's in Lancashire. This podcast explores the many different faces of palliative care in our ward and in the community in patients' own homes. Whether you work with palliative care patients in the UK or further afield, or are looking after someone with a life-shortening diagnosis, we hope you'll find something useful, reassuring and enlightening. Okay, so we're here today to talk about the art of difficult conversations. And I think we all know that difficult conversations are actually a fact of life. I mean, you know, whether they're at home, whether they're at work, whether it's a colleague. So in terms of palliative care, difficult conversations are are part of working life. So it could be with a patient, it could be with a family member. And I know it's something that a lot of people ask us about. So today we're really fortunate to have Maddie Bass, Director of Nursing and Quality at St John's Hospice with me. And we're just gonna chat through the art of difficult conversations. And Maddie's gonna talk us through some hints and tips that are gonna help us. So welcome, Maddie. Hi, thanks for uh, having me here today. Maddie, tell us a little bit more about your role here. Um, So I'm a nurse by trade. I qualified in 1992, which is a long time ago. Um, I'd like to say I know everything, but I don't. Um, But I'm director of nursing here, um, and that's very much uh, a managerial job. It's a senior manager team role that's quite strategic but I also manage all the clinical services and various other lead roles in terms of management of drugs, safeguarding, um, and I'm a registered manager with CQC. Wow, that's quite a lot. That's a lot in one title. So Maddie, tell, tell us now, what makes a conversation difficult? I think the challenge of this is there are so many conversations that can seem not to be difficult, but can actually turn out to be difficult. And I think the one thing I've learned with this is that any conversation can go well and any conversation can be difficult. So we often think difficult conversations are around breaking bad news, uh, talking about advanced care planning, whether someone should be for resuscitation or not. Um, But I think equally, I've had more challenging conversations with patients about going home or not going home. And I think that's a real, real recurring theme for a lot of our patients that come on the ward who come in for end of life care, but equally then pick up and stabilise. And as we're a short care, short stay unit, we have to think about somewhere else. Now that's a really difficult conversation. And equally, I've had other patients where talking about advanced care planning with them having a short diagnosis and prognosis has been fairly straightforward. So any, I would say any conversation can be difficult and it's about making sure you approach them so that you're prepared for that. So listening to you say that, I'm, I'm imagining that throughout your time, you have witnessed a lot of difficult conversations. You've probably witnessed them and you've been part of them. So I'm, I'm going to ask you now, what you think is the main thing that most of us do wrong when we're in the midst of a difficult conversation? Um, I think... I think we all do things wrong. I think that's probably the first thing to say. Okay. And, and, a, and a great man once said, people who are good at breaking bad news do it wrong less often. And I think that's a really positive thing. You can't say that some people are brilliant and some people are, are, are poor at it. I think there are better ways of doing it. But even the best person at having a difficult conversation or breaking bad news can still get it wrong. So the biggest thing that we don't anticipate is how the person themselves is going to react. 
And I think that there's ways that you can approach that to hopefully prepare them and hopefully prepare yourself so that if that is the case, you are a little bit more, you can manage it a little bit more easily. And, and, and communication, I think you can say anything to anybody, it's the way that you say it, but you have to say it in the right way and in the right format to be able to try and anticipate that as much as you can, if that makes sense. It does make sense because, you know, one of the things you, you're gonna help us with today is when you say the word format, is you have a model, don't you, which provides yeah. a format yeah. to actually have, you know, yeah. one of these difficult conversations. And I'm thinking there must be a lot of models, a lot of advice out there about how to handle yeah. difficult conversations. So of all the ones you must have come across, before you tell us about the model, tell us why you've chosen this one. I, I like this model, it's called the Spikes model and it's because it's got letters that help me remember the different parts of it and also it's, um, it's straightforward, it's got a logic to it and hopefully at the end of it you're not leaving somebody just hanging. I think sometimes when you're having a conversation in clinic or you might be going in as, as a specialist and then stepping away and never seeing that person again, you have to have the next step ready for them so that they're not just waiting for someone to contact them. Well, what if they don't hear anything? Who are they going to go to? Who's going to support them in the meantime? And there are ways of doing that. So that, that's a little bit about what we'll talk about. Okay, then. So I'm going to ask you now to take us through the Spikes model, okay. step by step. So Spikes was um, written by a man called Robert Buckman, who you may remember was on um, a television programme many years ago in the 70s. Um, and he has a beard, but I don't think that really makes much difference to the quality <laughs> of the model, but it is great. Um, it's called the Spikes model, so S-P-I-K-E-S. -E um, and each of those letters stands for a different part of the conversation. Now, this works really well for people who have got capacity and for who you have a little bit of time for. So the most important, the most important part of that conversation is not rushing and giving yourself time. Um, so the first S is a bit of that process really, setting up the meeting. You can't always plan to have these conversations. Sometimes patients drop them on you by asking things like, am I dying? What's happening next? I need to know now. But you don't need to be coerced into doing anything that you're not ready for. So setting up the meeting is important. And most of that may not necessarily be about the time, but it might be asking the patient if they want somebody with them. It might be, um, making sure that you've got answers to some of the questions that you think you may be asked. And if you don't have the answers, you have to be honest. But setting up that meeting, planning for that meeting is just about getting things straight in your own head. And you can offer someone to have someone with them without necessarily making it sound as if it's going to be bad news, although it may well be. Okay. It's just saying, I've got an important conversation to have with you. Would you like somebody with you when you have it so that somebody can take some notes for you or help you remember what's been said? And that's a really good way of saying, rather than saying, I've got a difficult conversation to have with you, you must have somebody with you. Because immediately it puts people on the alert that it's going to be bad news. And it might well be, but there's ways of cushioning people for the blow of that. So that's the setting up the meeting. Okay, so that's setting up the meeting, or as you were saying, setting up the scene, doing yeah. that preparation, Getting thinking it. about what was going to make that person yeah. feel more comfortable. Getting your head in the right place, because okay. that's the key thing. And the next thing is the P, and that stands for perception. And what you want to do is see where the person is in this information journey. So what's their perception of where they are at the moment? Do they understand why they came into the hospital, the clinic, the, the hospice? 
Do they understand where they are in terms of their investigations and results? Do they understand why they've been brought in to see you as a person or you've been brought in to see them? And, the, and the, the easiest way to ask that is just to say, so tell me what's been happening with you and what's brought you to see me today or why you think I've come to see you. Now, very occasionally, <laughs> I have had some patients who've said, well, that's really, when I was a teenager and, you know, they're in their 80s. So you do sometimes right. get a story. There can be a benefit to having a story and there's lots of research about patient stories. So I think you have to be careful about cutting people off and saying, actually, I need you to talk about now. Um, but equally, if you haven't got much time, perhaps the easiest way when you go to them and set up the meeting is, I've, I've got 15 minutes for this conversation, so uh, I'd like to press on with that if that's okay. Because otherwise people think you've got all afternoon. And sure. it's about manage. the whole conversation is about managing expectations. Perception also, I'm thinking, that's also really useful, isn't it? Because that's a way of judging what that person does or doesn't know instead of assuming that that person knows absolutely everything yes. when yes. actually they may not. And a lot of people say to you, well, I don't know. I've got no idea. And, uh, you know, you might have seen some records that have said somebody's had a conversation. So you're thinking, right, hang on a minute. Where are we with this? So I can remember many times when I was a Macmillan nurse was saying to people, right, OK, so you came in on March the 1st. And um, can you remember that you had a scan? Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember the scan. So what did they tell you about the scan? Well, you know, I, I had a, a lump. OK, and what did they describe the lump as? Well, they were going to do a biopsy. So people might take you on the journey and at the end of it, they'll say, oh, yeah, I knew it was cancer. <laughs> so yeah. Sometimes people know more than they think, but it's useful just to remind them. That can be a nice process of reminding them where they are with it. Okay. And equally, you thinking about how you might use this conversation otherwise is with your colleagues or with people that you're managing. You know, if you've got a difficult conversation with them about their conduct, maybe starting that meeting is tell me why you think you're here today and talking them through the process. So it's a really useful question to ask is just to get people's ideas of where they think they're at and it can help meet where you're at in your knowledge and where they're at and then what you're thinking about doing next is closing the gap yeah particularly if there's a big gap between someone who's saying I don't know anything yeah I've had a scan and they said something but I don't know what it is I don't remember and you know they've got cancer and they might have limited time or yeah so on and so forth or they can't stay here at the hospice and we need to think about going to a care home or something no i mean that that makes perfect sense and, and i can see where this is going so we've got s for setting the scene we've got p for perception which as you said is also also about process isn't it yeah so take so us on to i i spy s p i is for invitation and um this is really i think the p and the i are really key um p is where do people think they are and I is, do they want to know more? And that's really important because a lot of people don't want to know. And that's why when you're setting up the meeting, and you're saying, I've got an important conversation to have with you. Would you like somebody with you? Because if they don't want to know that information, they've got somebody there with them who can hear it instead. And with the patient's permission, remember, this is about their permission for you to tell somebody else. If they don't want to hear, you can say, are you all right for me to tell your wife, husband, friend who's here? and go off and have a conversation together. So you're not colluding with them. Okay. But one of the phrases that I saw used by a brilliant registrar once was, are you the sort of person that likes to know what's going on? Now, if it was me, yes, I want to know everything. But some people will say, mm, I'm not sure. Might not be or, ready for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that's part of it is the 
the perception, where are you at with this? Do you want to know what else is going on? And, and get their permission for you to tell them that. I mean, I like the, I like the word invitation because for me, what, what you're doing here is you're giving people a choice mm. rather than assuming and then bombarding with mm. someone with information. Mm. Because, you know, even when you think about your own personal experience, there are times when your head is already full and actually you don't want to take any more information at that point. So, you, you, yeah, you're giving people a choice, aren't you? Yeah. Perfect. And most people want to say, yes, please, I'd yeah. really like to know. And there are some people that don't want to know and I think we shouldn't be surprised. It might be the wrong time. They might, And it might be that if they don't want to know, you think, well, actually, is this a conversation that can wait? So it right. may be offering to say, do you need some more time and we'll consider another time to have this conversation? Or it might be actually, no, I don't want to know at all. Can you speak to my daughter or family? Or yeah. you may have to say, can I speak to someone else on your behalf and, yeah. and tell them? Yeah, because they may be more comfortable. But again, yes. it's a fact, isn't it? What I take from that is that you're giving people a choice, yeah. aren't they? And, you're not. And we're moving away from the, the old model of, well, don't tell them that they're dying or they're ill or there's bad news. Let's tell their family. Because you then come to the point, you come to the collusion point where you're just liaising with the family and you're leaving the patient out. And, and we've moved beyond those days now. We've moved yeah. to the days of patient information, patient yeah. consent, informed consent. So that's part of the process is letting them decide if they want to know. Now, if they don't have capacity, that's different because you're sure. then managing it around mental capacity and assessing capacity and what have you. And that's another conversation, really. But I think that's definitely quite, <laughs> that's an important conversation for yeah. another day, isn't it? Yeah. Because that, that, that's something else that obviously you'll know a great deal about. Uh, take us on to K now. So K. so K stands for knowledge. And this is where you're telling the patient, the person, the knowledge that you want to share with them. And that, you know, when we're talking about breaking bad news, the, the common thing we think about is telling somebody they've got a, a, a diagnosis, an incurable illness. Um, and the way that we would deal with that situation is warning shots. So that's, again, about closing the gap between your knowledge level and that person, that patient's knowledge level, um, by giving little warning shots, which bring you closer, almost like a step-down approach. Okay. So I'm waving my hands around here, although no one can see them. If you've got one hand up here at the top of your head and one hand here at sort of shoulder height, you're stepping your hand down three or four times to reach the other hand. And that's the physical way of approaching your warning shots. So, um, so the give, classic, us an, give us an example. Yeah, the classic example, let's say about a cancer diagnosis, because that's quite a common one is, um, okay, so uh, you you had your scan. Yes, I remember I had my scan. So that's one warning shot. Your second one might be, so um, I'm afraid on your scan we found a suspicious area. Right, okay. Um, and that suspicious area is a tumour. It's malignant. And that means it's cancer. So you've gone from, I don't really know what's going on, to cancer by three or four warning shots. What I've picked up from that, and I don't know if that's intentional, there's a slight pause as you come yes. down each step or yeah. as you deliver each yeah. warning shot. Is, yeah. is that to give people time to absorb the information Absolutely. or is that just... Absolutely, okay. yeah. yeah. And often people might say, so you're telling me I've got cancer. If you say you've got something suspicious or we found a tumour, so you're telling me I've got cancer. Now, at that point, you can decide, on depending on how well you know the patient, to say, well, actually, yes, that is what I'm saying. Or you can carry on doing the warning shots. And I think that's a clinical judgment in the moment about whether that's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, don't be 
coerced really into speeding the process up sure because there may be information as you impart that knowledge that you want to use to back it up okay so um the only the people that this doesn't work well on are people with learning disabilities um and perhaps autism as well where people are quite black and white right and every time you give a warning shot there's an assumption that that's the final bit of news you're telling people and then you're giving another warning shot. So that's the final bit of news. So by the time you've done that three or four times, people are obviously really anxious and really agitated. Um, so it, it, it goes against the grain to not prepare people. But actually for people with learning disabilities, that is the, the most straightforward way and the best way to manage it with them. So it's like everything that you do, isn't it? You know, you judge the situation, you yes. tailor it to, to the person, the yes. conversation you're having. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the next one, I'm not saying I'm not interested in everything else, but E for emotions. E for emotions, yeah. Um, and that goes hand in hand with the knowledge, really, that each time that you're giving a warning shot, you're likely to impart some sort of emotion. It's probably going to be quite a strong emotion. It may be anger, um, fear, tears, uh, shock. Um, it, it could be anything. And that's where you have to be expecting that you're going to get a reaction you don't think you're going to get. Um, and I've had very calm, elderly, quite frail people be extremely angry and almost quite violent to people who are you would expect to have quite a severe reaction. They're quite an anxious person and they've been very quiet. Um, so I would always say prepare yourself for emotions. And emotions are normal. Well, crying is okay. I used to get a lot of referrals when I was a Macmillan nurse. Oh, they're really upset. Can you come and see them? Well, actually upset is normal when yeah. you're breaking bad news let's accept that the people who just take it in their stride are the people that will fall down later and I would much rather have a severe reaction at that point to know that people have heard what's been said and have, have taken it in I'm going to ask you um well I think it's a difficult question but I'm sure it won't be for you quite often when there's emotions involved I can't be the only person that that takes that away and thinks I've upset that person I've made that person angry. And I think that's one of the things about difficult conversations for all of us is it's very, very normal, isn't it, to take it personally. So how do you not take it personally? I think it's very normal to take it personally. Okay. But I think if you're using a format like Spikes, it helps you to manage the process as best you can. Remember we said the person who's good at making breaking bad news is the person who gets it wrong less often. You cannot guarantee this is going to be a good conversation. There's a process, a way of doing it, but you have to acknowledge that those emotions might be fired at you because you're the person giving the news. Remember the phrase, don't shoot the messenger. Yeah. That's how you're going to be. You you're are in the front messenger. of that person, you, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. And you might be the person they blame. And I can remember one time where I sat with a lady who had a cancer diagnosis and we talked it through. We did all the, you've had the scan, you've had this, you've had that. And she really hadn't taken in what was going on. And I broke the news to her and it completely changed the relationship. And she would not have me as her Macmillan nurse after that. Okay. And I, it's happened other times where it's not been too much of an issue. So again, yes, it felt very personal, but actually that was just her way of dealing with it and you've you know, you know you've obviously you've mentioned that that's happened to you you know in previous times it, it's mm. still happening in the hospice isn't it and it happens oh, to yes. your colleagues every yeah, day absolutely. I'm sure yeah okay and um and the difficulty with the pressured environments that people work under is that having 15 minutes is a luxury to speak to people and that's why if you can prepare them to say look I've got 15 minutes yeah and I'm going to have a difficult conversation with you um you know 
and part of that process is how we, we summarise and how we talk about next steps, which is the next thing we'll talk about. But emotions is really important and emotions yeah. are normal and okay. extreme emotions can be normal. So I think prepare yourself for something that you're not going to expect, but it is okay. I think that's really, really valuable because, as I said, I think there's, there's a, you know, how could I have done it differently, blame myself. But, but you're delivering bad news, aren't you? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what you're saying, yeah. isn't it? Extreme yeah. emotions are normal. Yeah. Well, you've led us nicely into the next bit, which is the last S, isn't it? And as you said, mm. this, is, this is basically where you, you summarise, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, this is your summary. So when you've come to the end of that difficult process and you're probably feeling pretty wrung out it's useful just to go back to say okay we've talked you know we talked about where you thought you were um you've said you've wanted more information i've told you that the scan has shown that you've got a tumor and that, that tumor is unfortunately cancer um and you know obviously that's been really difficult for you and i'm really glad we've had that conversation but what we need to think now is how else can we carry on supporting you so you've done your summary and next you're going to have a strategy so you know i'm a Macmillan nurse. I mean, we don't have Macmillan nurses at St John's. I have to say that um, we fund our own nurses. So you're a palliative care nurse specialist and you may not see this patient again. So you just need to be saying, OK, so what we're going to do is if you don't get the results back, then you can phone me on this number or I'll get right. the district nurse or the GP or um, if you don't hear anything, this is the phone number to call and, and we can chase that up for you. Don't ever leave someone to say, right, so, um, okay, that's great, thanks very much, and walk off. Because where does that person go? Yeah. Are they seeing an oncologist? Are they seeing Are they seeing a, a, a district nurse? You know, there needs to be someone that's following up. And equally, actually, for, for having had this conversation, it's nice to be able to follow up on that conversation to say, wouldn't it be great if you could say, I'll phone you in a few days' time and just see how you are. And if you've got questions, write them down and we'll talk about them then. Absolutely. And I think... It's, you know, we all know this from our own experiences, don't you? You walk out of, say, for example, a GP surgery and you think, why didn't I ask that? I can't <laughs> yeah. remember what she said. Yeah. Yeah. And you go home and someone says, how did you get on? Whether it's GP or whether, you know, it's, mm. it's something in the hospice mm. that we're talking about. And you, your colleague or, you, you, you know, your family member says to you, so what, what, what happens next? What are they doing now? And you're yeah. like, well, actually, I don't know. So mm. obviously finishing on that, is really important, isn't it? Because otherwise, why don't you know? And you'd just feel lost, wouldn't you? Yeah, you do. And who do you go to to ask the question? Absolutely. So it, the, the, the strategy and the going forward, it's not anything complex. It's just about the next steps for the patient and who they can go to if, they, if they've got questions. And, and that will make that conversation for that person so much better. You know, you'll be remembered for how you were with them. Not necessarily what you said, but you'll be remembered by them for how you were with them. And that's really key. And it's you're right. It's what we all remember, isn't it? You know, how that person made us feel. That's the classic, isn't it? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So that, that, that's a lot for us to take in. There's a lot of really helpful information here. I'm, I'm going to really put you on the spot now. I'm going to say to you, for people who are listening to this, if they can only take away one thing, I feel mean for doing this when I've made you go into so much detail, <laughs> But if you could only take away one thing from today, what would you like us to take away from today? I think it's about making sure that you know what that person, what that patient's perception is of what's going on with them before you start going any further. I think that's really key because that will help you to know what the gap is between what you need them to know and what they actually know. Okay. So that's my, that's my 
parting shot, my warning shot, really. No, no, that's fine. It's only nice to say that I feel bad for asking you, but you know, that's it. You've said it. It's that's that perception, isn't it? It's finding out what place that person's in. Maddie, that's been really, really helpful. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, really you know. enjoyed it. And I hope this is helpful for people. And equally, if people listen to this and they've got questions, then they can just contact me at the hospice and I'll be more than happy to, to answer anything that, you, that you're interested in. I think you can expect a lot of follow-up from this because I think, you know, we're, we're obviously, you know, we're from St John's, we're talking about this, but, you know, what you shared with us today, it's obviously it's patient-focused, but as you know, as you mentioned before, it might be with a colleague. We have difficult conversations out of work, don't we? You know, with 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 friends, with family. So, you've given us a lot that that we can take away. So, um, thank you so much for that. Um, as for everyone else, thank you very much for listening. Um, Maddie and I hope you've picked up some skills and some ideas that they're going to support you through the many difficult conversations that that are part of everyday life, and. You know, we're going to be back with more podcasts, more information to help you on your way. So thanks so much for listening. If you feel this has been helpful to you and will be useful for someone else, please do share it. We'll be with you again soon, talking through a different palliative care subject. To make sure you don't miss the next one, simply choose the subscribe option. Thank you for listening today.